0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fly on the Wall. My name is Christian. My name's Aaron. My name's Justin. And notice I did not go with the moniker today. Yeah, we're all real proud of you.
1: You're really making big steps here. So, today on the podcast, we have a really awesome guest. He's from out of town, uh, to say the least. We have uh, Senator Rios Preter from uh, Mexico. And he's actually a president or a candidate for president that's on the low. I
0: don't think he's officially announced. They haven't announced yet because he isn't technically allowed to announce. But when you listen to the podcast, you'll understand why we say he's running for president because he's running for president.
2: Yeah. And you'll learn all, a lot about Mexican politics, how that whole process works. Um, we will get into that. Before we do, though, uh, as always, follow us on social media, subscribe on iTunes Please. and to our MailChimp, um, and tell your friends as well. Please subscribe to the podcast. All right, moving forward. So we have
1: our first segment that we're going to do for you, the Tweet of the Week. Justin, you want to uh, be tapped in here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our Tweet of the Week is a, an actual a, a series of tweets, uh, which came from last weekend, starting with a tweet from Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, who enjoyed a round of golf last weekend. Uh, so to quote him, really enjoyed a round of golf with President at Real Donald Trump today. President Trump shot a 73 in windy and wet conditions, which is pretty impressive, uh, to which reporter Jonathan Martin for The New York Times <laughs> replied, Pretty sassily. Only played front nine, uh, so everyone's a <laughs> critic of President Trump's golf game, apparently. Yikes.
0: A 73 is, like, really good golf. Yeah, I've shot a 73, right? like, once or twice in my life, and I play a lot of golf. Mind you, I don't play as much golf as the president does, but wow, that is a good round.
1: Impressive. If you'd like to know how we rank the presidents, check out our episodes that two weeks ago, where we talked about the, all the presidents playing golf at the Presidential Cup.
2: Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep. We yeah, had there. our theories on who we think is the best. People,
0: Right. Yeah. God, presidents really like golf. It's
2: a really interesting thing I've like noticed. Yeah. Uh, all right, our next segment for this week. Uh everyone's favorite, fan favorite. Um, what grinds your gears? Christian, would you like to start us out? Well give us the topic first. So our gear grinding topic this week is money in politics. Senator Peter will get into this a little bit, but we want to give our thoughts first. Yeah, I mean, okay,
0: so obviously no one likes money in politics. Uh I guess like first thing that really grinds my gears is that despite the fact that nobody likes money in politics, no one does anything about it like, this is such a problem that we have in our society. Like, I mean, you basically need to spend millions of dollars at a minimum to win a Senate seat. Um, We're talking tens of millions for any sort of competitive battleground seat. Um, That Georgia House race ended up spending $50 million. It just seems ridiculous to me that like, there's such a gate, like a gate to any sort of high elected office. And that gate is like how much money you have. And like, people continually complain about money in politics. But like, The last major piece of legislation that we had about money and politics was 2002 with McGain Feingold. So like, I don't know, like it just seems ridiculous to me that like we can't figure this out. And like every major democracy has figured this out by now.
2: Yeah, you seem pretty knowledgeable on that topic, Christian. It's almost like we're taking a congressional politics class where our midterm was all about campaign finance. I was going to say, these two are going to like run circles around me. I don't know nearly (laughs) as much about uh, campaign finance as they do. Shout out Professor Suarez. Thank you for teaching us all about campaign finance and money and politics and how it really works. Um, So my take on money in politics, uh, similar to Christian's um, in that it really is an inhibitor for people getting involved in politics. Um, So Christian mentioned, yeah, it's just a ton, a ton of money that goes into these races. Um, And a lot does end up coming from candidates. So even if candidates don't fund their races from their personal bank accounts, regardless, it's hours and hours and hours of their time on the phone during call time, calling donors and asking for money. And that's really hard for a candidate who is also expected to work a full work week. Um, It's almost impossible for someone with a full-time job to run for Congress, let alone Senate. Um, So again, just really uh, a pretty severe inhibitor to what kind of person can run for a seat in the People's House.
1: I don't know if this necessarily count qualifies as like something that annoys me but like here's a fun interesting tidbit that i learned in my political economy class it Excited. turns out yeah so it turns out that there's these really smart guys over in italy that did studies of like politicians behavior right and the premise they took is that politicians choose to go into politics as like a career choice right so there's some sort of financial incentive there for them uh and that's con- that's like taking into account like the salary you make in congress as well as like the benefits you get Afterwards, you know, get and go into lobbying or consulting or one of those areas and making a lot of money after getting that congressional experience. And what they found was if you were to decrease this, I'm not like promoting this at all. I, this is just something that was interesting findings of these studies that I learned. But if you decrease the salary of a legislator, that you can actually induce exit from congressmen that didn't achieve any uh, tangible legislative accomplishments. The people who would stay in Congress would be those who actually cared about passing meaningful legislation, and those who were just in it for the long-term payoff would be quicker to to come in and quicker to exit uh, or wouldn't even enter Congress at all. So interesting trade-offs there. Obviously, that opens the door of like, oh, what happens if you uh, can't afford to mm-hmm. pay two mortgages on a congressional salary uh, if you're just a single income household or from a lower uh, socioeconomic bracket uh, that sort of boxes you out of Congress? But I thought that was interesting to think about.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point as well.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, so we are going to get into our interview with Senator Rios-Piter. Um, so yeah, Aaron's already introduced him, but just a little bit more about him. him he's a senator from Mexico. He actually is a Hoya, uh, which is really exciting. Um, and, uh, so he knows Georgetown. He knows Georgetown University. Um, he knows our issues, and that's really cool. So we are really excited to welcome Senator Rios-Piter. To the he pod. also has
1: an awesome nickname. It's the Jaguar. And, and will get Aguar. into why in just a little bit.
0: Senator, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're really excited to have you here.
1: Um, and thanks so much for uh, coming back to Georgetown, one of your
3: alma maters, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy to be with you. And of course, being in Georgetown is really, really important to me to be back. All the people. here. <laughs> awesome.
1: Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, so first things first, uh, because a lot of us not, aren't really as familiar with Mexican politics as uh, you are as the expert. Uh, so give us, in 30 seconds, explain how a candidate wins the Mexican presidency. What does that process look like?
3: Well, uh, right now we have these uh, political parties which are uh, really ruling the whole political arena in Mexico. Me, myself, I just quit for being a, a member of a party. I became an independent mm-hmm. actor and I'm trying to be an independent candidate for the presidency. Mm-hmm. How they win? They win with a lot of money. No? They <laughs> use a lot of money and, of course, that generates a cycle of corruption. That's, that's what we're fighting against. And uh, that's what we try are trying to change. So hopefully, and I'm pretty, pretty positive of, it, of that, we'll win to them without the tons of money they're using.
1: Right. So, But uh, we're talking like purely the political system. So what does it look like in terms of like a turnout rate? Or is there a, an electoral college like we have? So what exactly are the hoops you have to jump through to actually win the presidency?
3: Well, race? we have this uh, national institute, which is called Instituto Nacional Electoral, the National Lecturer Institute. Gotcha. Remember that uh, we've had for a long uh, a lot of decades, this ruling party, which is the PRI, that used to be the very authoritarian uh, party. And uh, we've had these important changes. So the vote uh, is respected in the country. We generated this institution, which is the Instituto Nacional Electoral. And uh, now most of uh, of the actors are pretty confident that the national uh, electoral system is working well the problem is that all the parties are using a lot of money to 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 gain the elections, and that has become the major problem because corruption, which is a major issue right now in in Mexico, uh, starts during the campaigns, and that's what we are trying to change.
0: Right. Great. Uh, so we want to dive into uh, some of your experiences being a senator. Uh, so first off, uh, lay a little background down for us. You know, how did you end up in the Senate? How did you get into Mexican politics in the first place?
3: Well, most of my life, I wanted to become a politician. That's why I came here to Georgetown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think there are many students who may listen to the podcast who would uh, uh,
3: feel Hopefully similarly. Yeah, agree yeah. With that. You, you know, I, I always wanted to go to Harvard first. No, uh, yeah. in Mexico, it was Harvard is just like uh, everybody talks about the, that school. And uh, I had the opportunity to, co- to come first to Georgetown, and I must tell you that I was very delighted of being here in the university and. Uh, you know, it's not only the school, but also the city. Being in Washington, I mean, if, if you like politics, uh, you are in the best place all all around the world to to learn politics. Being at the think tanks, being at the OAS, being with the embassies. I mean, there's th- this huge uh, infrastructure of of course going to the, to the Hill, to the hearings, and all that. Right. So I, I really enjoyed being being here in, in Washington, and uh, well, I think that the, it was really good for my formation as a politician, of course. Now, uh, regarding the bilateral issues, this this is very useful. No, so having some connections and networks here in the in the in the hill, or probably in other places, is, is really important for the situation we are right now having with the U.S. Remember that Donald Trump is right now in office, now, so right. we must deal with that particular issue as other people are trying to do in in the whole world.
0: Right. So. Uh, talk to us a little bit about you know after you left Georgetown, what steps did you take uh, to become a senator in Mexico?
3: Well, I, I first of all I started uh, when I came here to Georgetown. I I, I came to to, to to do my master's degree. So so previously I worked at, at the Ministry of Finance in Mexico at the federal level. Then I was at the local level. I'm from a home state that's called Guerrero. That's a uh, uh, that, that's the, the home state where I'm from. I, I was uh, deputy. Deputy Minister for Internal Affairs for Poli- Pol- politics no Pol- Pol- for internal affairs that's that's the way it's called and so so I came here and I, I already had a, a background in, in politics and uh, w- after I finished here I went to Harvard no I, I went to to have a, a master's in public administration there at the Kennedy School and uh, because of my my previous work I I went. Uh, as a deputy minister for agrarian affairs in the, at the federal level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that took me to be a congressman after that. Then I became a senator. Uh, I mean, it's just like my life went on, kept on going. And, uh, of course, it was important to have the security issues studies. Mm-hmm. It was important to have a knowledge in uh, public mm-hmm. administration. And I also studied law and studied uh, economics, so most of my background has to do with uh, doing policy and all that. So, the how, how do you say? Uh, I would say study, and probably you'll you'll do well in politics. Stay in school. Stay in school. <laughs>
1: That's always the message. Yeah. Uh, so walk us through a bit of the typical day as a Mexican senator, right? So what does it look like when you are serving in that capacity? Are you giving speeches, writing legislation, talking to your constituents? Just tell us a little bit about that role.
3: Well, it depends, but uh, let's say one one single day you have to talk with a lot of people. No, you know? You're just like uh, thinking and processing law. It's uh, it's uh, it has to do with talking with a lot of people and trying to analyze policy and trying to hear the constituents and how they'll feel about uh, the new law. And uh, I don't know who's around there. But
1: yeah, <laughs> that's, that is a strange noise. We apologize yeah. to our listeners for that <laughs> yeah, noise. Mind. So,
3: so it's, uh, you need to talk with a lot of people and you need to to, to know what which are the goals that, that you want to attain. And of course, that's what you keep on doing, like talking with your constituents and going back to talk with the people you need to convince, especially from other parties. And then when you uh, get into the center of gravity, you need to, to take care of it, right? So uh, it's a lot of talking. And of course, you need to to acknowledge that other actors need to get gain something regarding specific uh, legislation. And of course, that kind of negotiation is, uh, is, is what you do most of the time. So it's talking with your constituents, then going back to negotiate, trying to attain the things that you want, and of course, hearing the other people. So... It's a, it's a really interesting process.
0: On that note, too, uh, you've proposed legislation that would counter uh, multiple of President Trump's policies on the border wall and NAFTA. Can you talk to us a little bit in more detail about how you craft these kinds of bills, these kinds of legislation? Uh, you know, who do you talk to? Uh, who do you consult? Um, and how do you go about actually proposing
3: this? Yeah. For instance, we had this uh, not buying any more American corn bill. <laughs> I don't know if you translate it that way, but that, that, that was what we were trying to, to do. Remember, when, when this uh, Donald Trump's administration came into office, uh, his hostility, his uh, speech against Mexico was a very strong one and he was a very hostile one. So so I went, uh, first of all, I designed with other colleagues uh, what we called uh, Operation Monarch, which was uh, a different party uh, Senate members who were trying to work with our immigrants who were being attacked because of the new administration and the position in Arizona or in Los Angeles. In all, I mean, this was uh, worldwide, not worldwide, but uh, American, in, in all the territories. So, so we went to speak with the migrants and uh, of course they were having so much fear because of deportations and all that. So we went back to, to get some money, some uh, money in the budget, so our consulates would work together for giving information and help, helping our people. And uh, during these meetings, especially some of them, which I had in Arizona, a lot of NGOs came to me and they told me, that let's put a ban, let's build a ban uh, against American corn. So I started like reading how much corn we were buying. And it's it, it, you're talking about thousands, uh, a huge amount of, uh, of corn that Mexico is buying. It's like, 1.7 billion dollars every year that we are spending on American corn. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that uh, the states that are selling the corn to Mexico are the ones that were the most the, the most hostile against Mexicans. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Iowa, we're talking about Nebraska, the North Dakota, South Dakota. I mean th- these places which are called the the corn belt which are pretty red, no, they yeah. voted uh, for for Donald Trump because they bought this speech against Mexico that Mexicans are taking our jobs and all that. So when I saw that these red colored States were the ones who were more prone to support Trump's speech. And I saw that we were buying corn to them. So it made a lot of sense to give them a signal. Okay. You don't like doing business with Mexico and you're pretty uh, getting pretty hostile to, to our country. So we'll stop buying corn. And That was a very interesting thing because, um, After we sent the bill, uh, I saw some interesting things happening. First of all, there was this senator from Iowa, I think, who said, like, why are these guys uh, so mad at us? Why don't don't they want to keep on buying the corn to us? So I said, of course, we will be pretty mad at you. I mean, you're attacking our people. And and that kind of dialogue, even it was like uh, it wasn't thought that way, started. And, uh, for instance, uh, we didn't know that American farmers in Iowa didn't know for twenty years that they were selling corn to Mexico because wow. yeah because it was Carhill you know the intermediary who was uh, who was buying that corn so so that shows you very much how politics uh, can help in terms of generating information and saying that we Mexico and the United States are pretty closer than we think and some places such as Iowa who, who might think we don't have nothing to do with Mexico are pretty closer than we than we think so that was a very good example of course now NAFTA is being renegotiated but this was in the very first moment of, of the new administration so I think that was an interesting uh, way to see things to propose legislation and of course to generate a new working together track that was uh, the final countdown of that. Huh?
1: Mm-hmm. And when you were speaking to those migrants, as you were talking about before with Operation Monarch, is there one story that you heard or a general sentiment that you heard from a bunch of people that really stood out in your mind that really drove you to move forward with this work?
3: Well, you know, there's this, the, the wall issue, no you know, the, the the building, the wall and all that. I've, uh, I learned uh, pretty well that uh, a lot of people here with papers or without papers Uh, We have like 12 million Mexicans living, first generation Mexicans, 35 million Mexicans first, second or third generation living here. So it's a a, a big uh, amount of people living here. Uh, Of course, they pay taxes and they work pretty hard. And uh, a lot of uh, Mexican politicians will go in this uh, way, like saying, come on. Come back to Mexico. Will make good things for you. And uh, what I heard f- from a lot of people, which is, this was a very important moment for me because the whole idea of the wall is like nonsense. That's what I think. But it's uh, we should rather see it as a mirror, not as a wall. No, it's like we have these uh, two countries which work together. Regarding a lot of things, security issues, of course, migration, trade. I mean, there's a very vibrant relationship the one we have with the United States. Uh, and if you think of the of that thing uh, of that uh, thing not as a wall but as a mirror, then you can see uh, in, in, into the mirror what you haven't done well, no. And that's why I on un- what I understood when I heard a lot of migrants saying like we are having a lot of problems regarding education in Mexico and we are having a lot of problems regarding violence and insecurity. And of course the whole speech about the wall was like two countries like fighting each other, no, right. uh, and trying to divide each other. Right. And uh, if you see it as a mirror, then you can take a look at yourself and you can analyze what you are not doing well. So you need to address those kinds of issues on your side of the border. And that can generate a better relationship in in between the two countries. For instance, the whole issue about drugs, no? I mean, right now in the States, for the last seven years, there there has been such an increase in terms of opium consumption, no? So that's a whole health issue here in the States. And probably uh, some Americans will say, yeah, that's because that's the fault of of Mexico, that they're sending us so much drugs. And in there... Uh, In my home state, for instance, in Guerrero, which is the biggest producer of opium in the whole world, even it's bigger than Afghanistan, probably you'll say it's because of the consumption on the other side of the border. And that kind of dialogue is a stupid one. I mean, it, it doesn't help anyway. So you need to see yourself in the mirror, how your institutions, how your rule of law is working. So you need to attend the drug producing issue on your side. As, as your problem, right. and not only saying that it's the problem of the other. So that, that's, I think, what I understood, what, what I've been hearing for the last months because of Operation Monarch regarding our migrants.
1: You're listening to the flagship geopolitics podcast, Fly on the Wall, and we'll be right back.
0: This week's political fun fact comes from a different president not named Richard Nixon. Uh, We are coming this week from Theodore Teddy Roosevelt uh, who got the nickname, uh, um, we got the nickname Teddy Bears because Teddy Roosevelt refused to shoot a small bear cub one day Uh um, when he was hunting. And the incident was reported in the news uh, which meant that a bunch of toy manufacturers came out with teddy bears as cute little stuffed animals. And that's where we got the modern teddy bear. Teddy
2: Roosevelt ever the conservationist. Okay,
1: I just like to point out for the record, there are some awesome fun facts about the uh, Supreme Court that I just found.
0: So we did a Supreme Court fun fact. We did. Those
1: yeah, facts. but it was mm, there. Is there? Mm, There's yeah, an actual basketball right. court above the Supreme Court. Okay, but you know that
0: uh, the, ju- highest the, well, the highest court in the Justice land, the highest court, Justice
1: Marshall is one of only two justices to appear on U.S. currency. He's on the five hundred dollar bill which exists so there's two fun facts in one
2: are you hijacking my political fun fact this week i'm just saying we should
1: spread the love we These got the three branches,
2: branches of government bad that when i heard justice marshall i jumped to not how i met your mother yep that's exactly <laughs> what i thought <laughs>
0: Take us inside the room of your decision to run for president of Mexico. You know, was there a singular moment where you decided this is where I want to go forward? Was there a singular factor that influenced your decision the most?
3: Well, it's uh, I've been through a lot of things. I am, as I told you, I'm from the state of Guerrero. Guerrero uh, was in the spotlight, worldwide spotlight, because of the 43 Ayacinapa kidnapping. I don't know if you have this in, in your... In your radar, it's uh, forty-three kids were kidnapped and they disappeared. They were killed because of drug traffickers uh, in Mexico, and this happened in my home state, the state where I'm senator from, which is Guerrero. I was the front runner for being governor. No, so I was in the in the poll position uh, in every single uh, poll. No, uh, I was the front runner, uh, but. Something so terrible like this happened. People being kidnapped and disappeared. Small, uh, young kids who were killed because of drug trafficking and the corruption around it. And of course, the impunity and lack of rule of law. So I said, and that's my my point of view right now, this was part and is still part of the way politics are, are happening in Mexico. Politics are working right now in Mexico. It's like you need a lot of money, probably that... Uh, those tons of money are taken from the cartels or from illicit actors. And then that is what is financing the campaigns. And of course, all the parties have to do with this. So you had this very first scandal in the state of Guerrero with the Ayacinapa issue. So I said, if this is the way politics are working, we have uh, one, one decision to take. We can go uh, in the inertia and doing nothing, which is something I didn't want to to follow that wasn't a path for me, or we can get out of the system and we start trying to make a change from the outside, and especially putting and signaling the money as a, as a major problem. No, especially yes. illicit money that's getting that's financing the campaigns. So uh, that was uh, the decision. No, like continue in the inertia and probably becoming part of the problem, or trying to become part of the solution from the outside uh, of the box way way to think uh, how to how to solve the situation right now in Mexico. And that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Right. And, and it makes a lot of sense that you decided to be an independent rather than fall into the, the trap of the party system, as you were discussing before. Uh, but the United States, we've seen independent candidates for president not have a whole lot of success. Could you contrast... That in Mexico, what are the advantages and disadvantages to being an independent? Do you see that as a, a viable path or there, is there going to be some difficulty there?
3: Well, I don't, I don't know how, how are the polls here in, here in the United States, but uh, 90% of the people in Mexico don't feel comfortable because of parties. I mean, wow. remember, there's a lot of money, public money uh, that we pay through our taxes to finance the political parties. I mean, that's a very different way of how politics occur here in the states. Right. right. So people are very aware of how political parties are working and how they are not uh, solving the problems they address uh, in every campaign. So ninety percent of the people now in Mexico don't feel comfortable with parties, with political parties. So uh, I think that's a that's a very interesting area of opportunity. Of how to address and this corruption circle which I'm talking to you about is, is a very clear one I mean mm-hmm. it starts with campaigns uh, we tried to made to make a track with six words that start with letter C no? C of corruption mm-hmm. this starts with campaigns political campaigns then it comes with cash for votes for paying for buying votes then it goes with clientels, political clientels, which are the ones that receive the money then the fourth letter C is the compadres, the compadres, the friends are <laughs> right, the ones who finance the campaigns. No, they, right. they finance the campaigns. What for? To get the contracts. No, those contracts for for building things or for using public money, or the six-letter C, which is crime. So, so you have the, com- the compadres who who have friendship and who who have these. Uh, trend lines with with the crime. So I think that's if you analyze every single corruption scandal right now or every single case that has to do with insecurity or violence in Mexico has this kind of circle. So uh, I think there are a lot of people that are aware of that. Of course, the institutional condition in Mexico is pretty pretty different from the one that, that there is in the United States. So that's the kind of uh, discussion we are right now having. That's why I think that uh, because of this pedagogic possibility of saying this is the way these guys do politics, the parties, and this is the way we want to do politics, less money, of course, in a more open way, um, it's, it's, it's a different thing. Parties are closed and we are trying to do open politics. So that's a huge difference. It doesn't have to do with left or right. It has to do with those who are open and those who are closed. And political parties, in my opinion, are closed. We are trying to do open politics.
0: And help us to understand a little bit of what your day-to-day life is like on the campaign trail. You know, who are you talking to? Are you just giving speeches every day, having rallies? Are you trying to fundraise? What does your day look like?
3: Well, we haven't started. This will start in the 9th of October. Okay. Because, I mean, it's important that that people know that for being an independent candidate, the parties put a very big, a very high threshold, no? So Mm -hmm. you need to get like 1 million signatures uh, from single people supporting you. So this will happen from October to February. So you can be in the ballot, in the official ballot. So right now, I I am trying to generate a whole uh, uh, social infrastructure all around the country. We need to get these million uh, signatures, million supports, and that's what we're preparing for. So what we've been doing right now is try to find in every single state, in every single community, who is supporting us. Of course, this is possible to do now that we have the social networks, no? But it 3 years ago or 6 years ago this would be impossible because of the connections that that, that you need the networking that you need uh, is only possible right now that you have the internet that you have this kind of uh, urban way to, to to be in contact with people. Right. So we've been generating uh, like an army of uh, 50,000 people all around the country that they will help us to get the the supports, the signatures of the people. So that's what we'll we'll be doing from October to to February. And of course, we're going to get the million supports and we'll be in the ballot.
1: Great. Well, uh, we only have a couple more minutes left of your time. So we're going to go to one of our favorite segments to do and it's called Lightning Round. So we're going to give you four questions and uh, you just got to give us the first answer that comes to the top of your head, right? All right. So first is the your favorite place to
0: eat in Georgetown?
3: Uh, it's the Tom's. Tom's, okay. yeah. It's
0: okay. a good choice. I would have gone with YZ's personally. <laughs> um, so my next question for you is, we have heard you are a big Star Wars fan. Um, so what is your favorite Star Wars movie? Uh,
3: the Return of the Jedi. Ah, oh, That's definitely. the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely the right answer. We <laughs> yeah. have some
1: debates on where Seven fits in. Yes.
3: Yeah, I, I don't like the Seven one. Really? really? We were I, big I really didn't like it. I, I'm hoping to, to have this uh, Last Jedi one to see how... This new era of uh, Star
1: Wars. That's yeah. true. Okay. It's still young. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And third, where did your nickname the Jaguar come from?
3: Ah, oh, it was in Guerrero when I uh, when I ran for for being a congressman. I used to be the minister for rural affairs, and we used to take care a lot of these uh, jaguars in in the in the part of the Sierra, in the part of the mountains. There's still a lot of jaguars in there, mm. and I was very aware of taking care of this uh, the jaguars. Uh, that was part of my issue, so. They called me the Jawa, and I really love it.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a cool nickname. That's I so wish cool. I had something like that. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, and our last question for you is, in 30 seconds, what would your first act as president of Mexico be?
3: Well, we, you need to talk with all the political parties to generate what we lack right now, which is rule of law. So the main agree, the, the main accord, the main work, political work, would be to generate a path for having strong rule of law in the country.
0: Uh, simple i like it right <laughs> uh senator thanks so much for coming on the podcast uh we really appreciate it i know georgetown students are really going to love your
3: insight oh thank you very much i'm pretty pretty i must tell you pretty happy to be with you guys here thank good and much. when's election day ah uh, the election will be on the first of july so probably right. i'll come to rally here for for a couple of love months.
1: it yeah great. yeah well you are now a friend of our podcast so. yeah great thanks good thank you very much best of luck thanks for coming on
2: you're listening to fly in the wall we'll be right back our politicos as real people this week comes from congressman jim himes uh of connecticut uh and it is a tweet as well uh, again from last weekend he says swimming in a river in new england in mid-october it's fine Hashtag Columbus Day, hashtag climate change. Uh, so clearly enjoying himself, but has, uh, as always, some political undertones to that perspective as well. I love it. So that just shows that, like, sometimes you can be like, you can't always
1: separate the politician from the person. There you go. And and although they are real people, they're always going to be, like, wonky in some way. Uh, so I'm glad he he finds a way to, to you know, merge his interests in swimming and politics. Yeah, and included a picture as well. So check him out on
0: Twitter. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. Uh, we really enjoyed our conversation with Senator Rios Piter. Always great to get outside perspectives, um, even outside of the United States. So this was a fun one to do.
2: And follow along with him as he officially launches his
1: presidential bid. We wish him the best of luck, of course. But it hasn't happened yet, so we'll wait so he's all compliant
0: with all those <laughs> laws and regulations <laughs> in, in Mexico. Yeah, hopefully this podcast doesn't get him like in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think not. so.
1: Great. Well, as we said, uh, social media, uh, iTunes subscriptions, MailChimp, uh, we have a lot of ways to keep in touch with you, and we really hope you take advantage of those, because uh, we want to be your best friends. Yep.
2: That's our main mission of this podcast, be thanks. your best friends. <laughs> thanks. And offer some kick-butt political content as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again for uh, listening this week, and we will see you next week. We have some really cool episodes coming up. We'll have to decide which one we want to launch next Sunday, because we have a, a lot of great people. In the works. So, and all the best to you in this wonderful week. Enjoy midterm season, and we'll be back at you. I'm Aaron Bennett, signing off.
2: Over under on how many times you guys watched that Star Wars trailer? Uh, well, let's see. We watched it at least four times. Then Aaron came in. No, Brendan came in. We watched it another two times. Aaron came in. I think we watched it once more. He was not excited about it, and mm-hmm. Christian and I were physically jumping up and down. I watched it once. Not interested. But. Uh- but you don't know if hey, you is know dead. We don't know if Ray's no, bad. No, no. Sorry, you this know is a spoiler I, episode. I, I, we,
1: we didn't even give him a heads up. You know I love Star Wars. One of my favorite passions. This trailer didn't do it for me. Not gonna lie. Like, I learned nothing new. You saw, but you saw Supreme Leader but Snow? I didn't get... Okay, but we saw him before. And this time he's not a hologram. No, he looks exactly like, the same.
0: I would like to point out that trailers are not meant to explain the entire movie they're meant to get you to come out and buy the ticket but the hot take
1: the hot not see i'm gonna buy the ticket regardless like that's not a question (laughs) the hot take that i got before i think it was justin who said this that like they're gonna give a big giveaway they're gonna do a big giveaway in the trailer and i I didn't get that for me you know like we already know that unfortunately leia has to go um we knew that and and like it's totally predictable that ray has some sort of pull to the dark side, like it happens. Like this has happened two times now. Now we're on the yeah. third trilogy. Like it
2: keeps happening. Undisputed, six. undisputed highlight of that trailer, which you cannot argue against. We got our first look at Porgs. At who? Porgs, the cute the little, little seal f- dude that was in the Millennium Falcon. I thought it was
1: more of a penguin. Did you find his name on Reddit? I haven't no, found this that name all over. You don't no? follow Star Wars enough. Yeah, like, so, He's like such a meme now. Like
2: Porg was trending on Twitter. What is he eight. supposed to be?
1: Like, what's his poetry?
0: He's cute. He's gonna sell twice.